The old pilot's plain tales. Aviation infestation. One of my few claims to fame was to have been trained on a marvellous little fast jet, the Fallen Nat. From where I sit, it really isn't far to go to trace the origins of this petite aircraft. I merely have to head south to Hamble, near the coast, and not far from where the big National Air Traffic Service Centre that controls air traffic throughout the south of England and Wales lies. It was there that Folland constructed parts for Blenheims, Beauforts, Spitfires, Mosquitoes and Wellingtons during the war. But in the 1950s, the designer of the English Electric Lightning, Teddy Petter, joined the company and started a new project for a lightweight fighter. What came out of the work was the Folland Midge, a single-seat fighter which was soon followed by the Nat, a two-seat trainer. The RAF took on the NAS as an advanced jet trainer and it was almost 20 years later that I climbed into one to start my fast jet training course. This was by some margin the smallest aircraft I had flown, having a wingspan of only 22 feet. The midge was even smaller, whereas the Cessna 150 that I first soloed on was 11 feet more. There was no doubt that climbing into such a small and nimble aircraft gave a markedly different impression than climbing up into a mighty phantom. With the Nat, it was much more like strapping it onto your back than getting in. The stick only moved a very small amount because there wasn't very much room in the little cockpit that one had to be careful not to over-control and keep the stick inputs very precise. Indeed, there was a complex gearing system that would amplify the range of movement at low speed. The NAT served with several air forces, including the Finnish Air Force, where it was used by Major Laura Pekuri to become the first Finn to break the sound barrier. The aircraft also went on to fight in the Indo-Pakistan War of 1971, and it downed several Pakistani sabres and became known as the Sabre Slayer, despite the Canadair Sabre Mark VI being widely regarded as one of the best dogfighters of its era. So the Nat had quite a bite. The Nat was small, so I guess it was fun to use insect names for little aircraft. And this was my introduction to the class Insector or Hexapoda, as it is sometimes known, the largest class of the phylum Anthropoda, which itself is the largest of the animal phyla. However, with regards to the naming of aircraft, class Insecta is pretty poorly represented, but perhaps I should mention that the subclass Paleoptera, mayflies, dragonflies, etc. have quite a few, as well as the subclass Polyneoptera, particularly the order Orthoptera, with their crickets and grasshoppers. Probably the most unlikely to be used to name an aircraft comes from the subclass Paraneoptera, order Theoraptor, the sucking and biting lice. More of that later. The order Hymenoptera has had more than a few, since if we follow the system down through suborder Apocrita, superfamily 
Apodia, family Apdia, subfamily Apinae, tribe Apini, genus Apis, subgenus Apis, etc., we find the western honeybee. The first insect-named aircraft I know about stretches back to 1908, but others may well have gone before or just been nicknamed. A June bug is actually a beetle, and the common name for several scarab beetles, and includes the maybug and the cockchafer. Hey, no sniggering in the back, as well as the doodlebug the nickname given to the Nazis' V-1 flying bomb. AEA, the Aerial Experiment Association, was formed by Alexander Graham Bell and was a Canadian-American aeronautical research group formed in 1907. According to Bell, the AEA was a cooperative scientific association, not for gain, but for the love of the art and doing what we can do to help one another. It ran for a couple of years, and one of its members, Glenn Curtis, went on to become a major aircraft manufacturer. One of the experimental aircraft that the AEA produced was the June Bug named by Bell after the common Philophasia beetle because June bugs were observed to fly similarly to the aircraft, having large stiff outer wings for gliding and smaller, delicate propeller-like wings to drive it forwards. The June bug was built to attempt a prize-winning flight. The Aero Club was offering a large silver trophy, the Scientific American Cup, plus $25,000 in cash for whomsoever made the first public flight over one kilometre, 3,280 feet. The Wright brothers were given first crack at winning this prize, but apparently they were too busy working out a deal with the US government to supply them with aircraft. At short notice, Glenn Curtis was given the opportunity to compete and with only three days to prepare, he took to the air on Independence Day 1908. In front of a delegation of 22 Aero Club notables and a crowd of thousands, many of whom had arrived at five in the morning to get a spot on the grassy hill overlooking a field near the town of Hammondsport. The suitably lubricated cheering crowd, since the nearby Pleasant Valley Wine Company had very generously opened its doors and offered free samples of all who were there, watched in anticipation. Ahead of him stretched the course, marked out by Charles Manley. Curtis powered up the June bug, got airborne and failed to reach the finishing line. Undeterred, the flying machine was dragged back and a second attempt made. This time, amid much celebration, the aircraft managed a 1.6-kilometre flight capturing the prize. It was such an amazing sight that one woman watching was so distracted that she was hit by a train on nearby tracks and suffered two broken ribs. After the flight, the wine cellars reopened their doors with free champagne for all. Sadly, the June bug no longer exists. It was later modified with floats as an experiment to see if it could operate as a seaplane. 
renamed the Loon, during trials, a float filled with water, and it sank. Although rescued from its watery grave, it finally rotted away in a nearby boathouse. However, a flying replica can be seen at the Glen H. Curtis Museum in Hammondsport, New York. Certainly one of the most unlikely names for an aircraft must be the Minette Pudicelle, which translates to the Louse of the Sky. The unusual name for this unusual aircraft came about following the success of Henry Ford's ubiquitous automobile, the Model T. They became so common in France that, in that wonderfully scornful way that the French can summon up so well, they called the small black machines Pou de la Rue, the Louse of the Road. The Pou de Ciel is more commonly known as the Flying Flea, and it was first flown on the 10th of September 1933. Conceived by Henry Mignette as a home-build aircraft, he published the plans and building instructions in a book which was sold all over the world. The American Practical Mechanics magazine made it even more popular by serialising the book and hundreds of people built their own fleas. The flea has an unusual configuration, but that was nothing compared with its flight control system. A very simple machine, it was a staggered biplane, almost to the point of being a tandem wing design. The top wing was over the pilot and the lower wing on top of the short fuselage right behind the cockpit. Behind that was an all-moving rudder, but no tailplane. The controls were only two axes. Moving the stick side to side deflected the rudder. It had no ailerons, and for an aft movement, pitched the little machine by increasing or decreasing the angle of the front wing. The action of changing the wing's angle of attack, because it was forward of the centre of gravity, would pitch the aircraft up and down. Apparently, Mignette created this control system because he felt that he wasn't a very good pilot and found it hard coordinating the stick and rudder of a conventional machine. Despite riding a wave of popularity, a design flaw began to make itself apparent, which caused the aircraft to be banned from several countries. If the front wing was moved too far, the downflow from the wing would impinge on the rear wing, greatly increasing its lift, making the aircraft pitch down. In response, the pilot would pull back further, making the situation worse, resulting in a very dangerous pitch down that caused several deadly accidents, particularly on the approach. Because the original engine had such low power, Mignette hadn't ever encountered the problem. It was only when builders started putting larger engines on them and expanding the flight envelope that the wing interference difficulties surfaced. Since the aircraft was tiny, only 14 feet long and with a span of 20 feet, the entire thing could be put inside a wind tunnel and the problem was discovered. Corrective actions were taken with the design, but the wave of bad publicity dogged Mignette for the rest of his life, despite the basic success of the aircraft. Other aircraft parasites have been built. 
Indeed, an entire family of parasites were developed over a period of five decades. It started in the 1910s, when the first parasitic aircraft, a BE-2 fighter, was attached to the bottom of an SS-class non-rigid airship. The aim was to elevate the fighter to a height where it could float around without using up fuel and then, when released, rapidly descend onto a raiding Zeppelin airship or such. Sadly, the single experimental flight ended in tragedy when the airship lost pressure and the fighter separated prematurely, crashing. Over the following years, more exotic parasite fighters were attached to a variety of airships. The RAF successfully attached and launched a Sopwith Camel from Her Majesty's Airship No. 23. The Germans hooked up an Albatross D3 onto a Zeppelin, but it was the US Navy who took the idea to the limits of credibility. In the 30s, the massive airships USS Akron and Macon were built with internal hangars, which could carry five tiny Curtis Sparrowhawk fighters. The fighters were fitted with hooks, and the airships equipped with a trapeze system that, when attached, could raise the aircraft inside the airship to allow it to be refueled and rearmed. Sadly, the loss of both airships in 1933 and 1935 put paid to this experiment. Attaching aircraft to gas bags wasn't the only parasitic design. In 1916, a Bristol Scout fighter was attached to the top wing of the enormous and rather inappropriately named Porter Baby, a three-engined flying boat. A very successful aircraft, several hundred Porter flying boats served with the British military and Porter himself collaborated with Glenn Curtis to sell his aircraft to the United States Navy. A single successful trial was conducted with Porter himself flying the baby and Flight Lieutenant Day at the controls of the Bristol Scout. The concept of parasitic aircraft continued with the USAF looking at attaching F-84 Thunder jets to the belly of their Convair B-36 bombers for self-protection, and the unlikely concept of Project TomTom, which attached a pair of Republic F-84 Thunder jet fighters onto the wing tips of a modified superfortress looks absolutely remarkable. I will say no more on this, as I see another plane tail coming. Moving away from the parasitic side of aviation, there are some much nicer insects that might have a sting, but at least they won't suck bodily fluids. Looking very angry in its stripy yellow and black paint scheme, the star bumblebee is truly insect-like. With a length of under 10 feet and a span of just 6 foot 6 inches, it's a record breaker. It was the world's smallest piloted aeroplane, at least in 1984, and it was credited as such in the Guinness Book of World Records. Not content with this tiny triplane, Robert Starr managed to remove a foot from both the length and the span for the Bumblebee 2, but his efforts nearly killed him when he crashed not long after taking the new record. There are, in fact, a number of flying bees, or to be more correct, used to be, including the Beecraft Queen Bee, 
honey bee and wee bee. A perhaps better known bee is the GB Model R. This small series of tiny 1932 racers, the R1 and the R2, look pretty amazing. Built with a low drag teardrop shaped fuselage that sat behind a vast nine cylinder Pratt and Whitney Wasp 800 horsepower radial engine, it was short and stubby. The cockpit was so far aft that the pilot's head more or less rested on the front of the fin. However, it was piloted with great success by Jimmy Doolittle in the Thompson Trophy race. He then set a new world landline speed record of 296 miles per hour, flying one in the Shell Speed Dash. The BG was, however, a difficult aircraft to fly, although Doolittle was quoted as saying, she's the sweetest ship I've ever flown, the tiny control surfaces meant that it could easily get away from all but the most skilled of pilots, and a number died in accidents. There are plenty of other insects that have flown, usually much better than their namesakes, including various crickets, mosquitoes, hornets and moths, etc. But I'll have to leave those to another day. But the idea of strangely named aircraft has me intrigued. Whilst most aircraft manufacturers were giving their aircraft names like Helldiver, Starfighter and Skymaster, some had different ideas. I often wondered what was in the head of the airliner maker, aviation traders, who named their aircraft the Accountant. Blackburn used many animal names such as the Swift, the Airedale, Sprat and Kangaroo, a perfect excuse for a bad landing. Boeing had names like the Stratocruiser, the Superfortress and the Globemaster before they let the work experience lad get into the naming department and before they knew it they had the P-26P shooter. Out there somewhere is the Belenka Pacemaker Senior for the elderly pilot with heart problems. The Aussies have built a few funny ones such as the Wiraway, Wacket, Woomera and Windjill, but the Boomerang was the best since it always came back. One assumes that the Condor shoestring is very inexpensive, but for the APG crew, I'm going to recommend one of Ernest Tipp's aircraft, the Tipsy Nipper. If you've enjoyed this story, then please show your appreciation by leaving a review at Apple Podcasts. Plane Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find us at airlinepilotguy.com.